The objects people choose to keep in their home define who they are. This is objectified Martha Stewart. Wait, wait, wait. You made I these made... in prison? I did. I'm Harvey Levin. This is a story about a woman who turned her back on a lucrative career on Wall Street to become the perfect homemaker. This 19th century tailor's table will be absolutely perfect for the adults. But Martha Stewart's life wasn't all perfection. I did not want to get divorced. I think he had a wandering eye. I'm wondering whatever. <laughs> she was a billionaire, unstoppable, until a tiny stock deal landed her in prison. James Comey was the prosecutor. Yeah, dear James. Do you think that he's sexist? Martha would not only rebound and rebuild, she would completely redefine herself with a little help from some friends. I had to sit <laughs> next to Snoop. I was so high. Say again? I was so high. Martha Stewart. Good in the kitchen, kick-ass in the boardroom. Martha Stewart. How do you do? What's crack-a-lacking? <laughs> Everything. <laughs> um, thank you so much for doing this. I am fascinated by your journey, how you got to where you are today. Great. And that's what we're going to do today. Great. Well, it's the American dream. It is the American dream. And nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Let's start. OK. OK. Tell me what this is. Well, this is one of my precious bowls, but it's a special bowl because it was given to me by my next door neighbors in Nutley, New Jersey, Mr. and Mrs. Mouse. They were German immigrants who were fantastic bakers. And when they retired from their bakery, they started a bakery in their basement. And this is one of the bread bowls. And they gave me this. Your dad. Um had a big impact on you. Tell me a little bit about him. He did. My father was a very handsome man, very tall, a beautiful, actually, he could be called beautiful, I think. Uh, blonde hair, blue-eyed, um, looked more Nordic than Polish, but he was 100% Polish. My mother was also Polish, 100%, born in Buffalo, New York. I've read he was a perfectionist. Very much so. And I got my sense of perfection and wanting to do things in the best possible way with the best possible result from him. That stuck. Yeah, so it stuck. And it still, it still sticks. The perfect, perfect um, uh, cafe latte. The perfect ganache. You had to make the perfect bed. That is a very nice egg. Perfect. He was also uh, big into gardening. Dad was um, a wonderful gardener. He grew the best tomatoes on the street. Some of his tomatoes, those Jersey tomatoes, were four pounds each. Four pounds. Four pounds. Those were big, big. Uh, they were called big boys, actually. <laughs> and um, and then uh, he also grew beautiful flowers. And he instilled in me a love of gardening. I am a real gardener, and I think that's from Dad. You are your father's daughter. I am, and I think I, I uh, hate to say it, but I think I was his favorite daughter. You um, grew up at a time when women became housewives. Yes. It seems that you didn't accept that at a very early age. Was it because of your dad? Uh, no, I don't think it was my dad. I think my mother could be considered a feminist, an early feminist, because she was trained as a teacher. The day my youngest sister, Laura, got into uh, kindergarten, mom started teaching again. So she went right back to work with six kids at home to feed at night. She would then go and teach a class of 32 students at the Lincoln School in Nutley, New Jersey. 
One of my favorite things that I've read about you is what you wrote in your high school yearbook. And it so resonates. Um, I want to talk about it. You wrote, I do as I please, and I do it with ease. <laughs> A little bit snotty, I would say, in retrospect. I, I would, too. But it's interesting you wrote that as a kid, as a 16-year-old. Right. Well, I, I felt that way. Dad had instilled that into me. His, his best piece of advice he ever gave me was, if you work hard enough, you can pretty much do anything, Martha. That's what he said to me. So he understood that I had a brain. He understood that I was smart enough. Well, I wanted to be a housewife, too. I, I did not ever look down on, the, on housekeeping. Or, or housework. I never looked down on it. I, I was brought up doing housework. Did you ever have a rebellious period growing up? I wish I could say I did. I was just goody two-shoes all the way. Really? Until I met my, my boyfriend, my first boyfriend, who turned out to be my fiance and then my husband. I was a very good girl. And that was your rebellious period? Yes. <laughs> well, because, I mean, I went out of our religion. I married, I fell in love with a, a Jewish boy, and I uh, brought him home, and my father was, well, when I said, I didn't bring him home first, I went home and told my parents, at, I was 18 years old, I said, I have fallen in love, and I'm going to get married, and uh, I didn't ask if I could get married, I just said, I am going to get married, and my father actually slapped me, because he was Jewish, then when they met him, oh my gosh, then they fell in love with him. They loved him. He's, can I go back to slapping me? <laughs> he slapped me. In my happiest moment, telling my parents I was going to get married, uh, he said, I'm too young, you're wasting your life, da-da-da-da-da, you know, that kind of thing. Wow. Yeah. Had he ever done that before? Slapped me? Yes. Oh, yes. But not, in my, not like across my face. I usually got spanked. Wow. It was the day of spanking. <laughs> um, okay, so not bad. I mean, when I say spank, you you know that was it was discipline. Parents actually disciplined their kids. Nowadays, you're not allowed to do this, and you're not allowed to do that. And most parents, you're not allowed to touch and do that. But uh, in those days, actually, discipline. Did you didn't your parents ever spank you? Or? Daily. Yes. Okay. Was this an easy childhood? I would say it was a very easy childhood. And a good one. It was very good. I enjoyed everything I did. I was, uh, I was happy. So tell me about these. Well, these are, uh, this is Mrs. Beaton. Mrs. Beaton started writing in the early 1800s. And this is called the um, household management. It's everything you have to know about keeping a home. So many different things in here. Recipes for wild duck and sole. Look at these beautiful sole and how to, how to cook, catch, and clean eel. Whatever you want to know, and sh it's and here. This is all about these, being a housewife. Yes. This is all about being, uh, how to run a home. So you can sit down on the okay. stool. I'd love that. As we talk okay. in the kitchen. I would this love that. This is my kitchen, by the way. Uh, which, which gets a I'm lot I'm a of perceptive <laughs> guy. I noticed. You went into modeling early. And I'm, I'm wondering, was it because people uh, said to you, Martha, you should be a model? Or did you just look in the mirror and say, yep, I oh, can do I, that? I never considered myself a great beauty or, or even beautiful. But I had a neighbor, a friend, uh, who 
uh, was modeling in New York City. And she said, you know, I, I model and I make money on, on the side. You should try it. You're, you're attractive. You could, you could probably get an agent. So she took me to her agent in New York. And yes, they signed me right away. And I started to uh, earn, I remember earning $15 an hour to start. That was live modeling at Bonwit Teller on Saturdays, modeling whatever they put on me, and I would walk around the store. And then I got another agent, and uh, they said, oh, you can do commercials. Busy, active people, stop. Now you can order-proof your body. Helps blemish-proof your skin, too. Get the active soap for active people. Did you ever think maybe I'll put college in the back burner and make modeling my career? Oh, never. It didn't occur to me. All I was using modeling as a means to an end because I was told by my parents they did not have enough money to pay any tuition. You met your husband, Andy, I believe when you were at Barnard, he was at Yale? Yes, he was at Yale Law School. And I fell madly in love immediately. What attracted you? Well, he was very smart. And he was nice looking, and he um, was well educated, and he uh, talked a lot, and, uh, and he was fun. I mean, all the good things. How quickly did you marry him? Uh, within a year. So you were 19 when you got married? I was. That surprises me, that you would get married that early when you're so focused and determined to go out on your own and make well, a name I, for yourself. I had lots of interests, and uh, marriage just was, it just it just came along, and I thought, God, you know, this is great. I really, I really love this man, and I didn't call him a man, this boy, and um, and why not get married? I can do everything anyway, which I did. And it never occurred to you that when you get married, then you suddenly assume a fairly traditional role again that might hamper your ability to go well, out. Well, he wasn't that kind of guy. He was not going to put me in in the kitchen and make me cook dinner every single night. I wanted to cook dinner. I cooked dinner anyway. So why not do that and study? And I did not give up my studies. I continued to go to school, got my degree. I toyed with the idea of becoming an architect. Uh, and instead of becoming an architect, I went to Wall Street. Andy's father had been a stockbroker. He had a seat on the New York Stock Exchange. And I thought, oh, this was exciting. Investing, learning about companies was very exciting and interesting. You go to Wall Street, which was male-dominated at the time. Very much so. Was that daunting? Uh, no, again, I, I don't easily, I don't get daunted too easily by things uh, or by people. How were the male colleagues receiving you? Oh, they loved me. Oh, no, they loved me. And the senior partner, of course, Monez, he fell madly in love with me. And, um, but I was a married woman and I sort of stuck to my guns. I was always a married woman. And I flirted, but that was it. And so you were never discriminated against? No. Really? No. They, they used me. I mean, they used my, me as a sort of a lure for clients in the nicest possible way. You're a successful stockbroker. You, you're young, you know, it's exciting. You're having a great time. And you quit <laughs> and you move to the country. I'm thinking, is she just waving the white flag and she's just gonna become a housekeeper? That's when I started developing my idea that change is good. Uh, learn as much as you can, move on. But what were you moving on to? Well, I was moving on to something new. What was that new thing well, I, moving to the we country? we bought a house. Right. And we were, I was commuting from an old rickety house, Turkey Hill Road, 1805 farmhouse, and I wanted to see what I could do with it. With no particular designs in starting a business? No, not necessarily, no. But I like to cook, 
and uh, and then thinking, you know, I want to start a business. I'm gonna I'm gonna start cooking. And I had a friend who wanted to cook, so we started a catering business. In one day, you become a billionaire. Yes, I was driving up Madison Avenue and thinking, gosh, I can buy anything. Did you? No, I was so stupid. <laughs>So this is the frame design of my stock certificate when we went public on the New York Stock Exchange. It feels really good, especially now with the stock opening substantially higher than the offering price. I must tell you, we're really excited. It's um, a good thing. This is when you became a billionaire. Yes. That was a good day. I bet. <laughs> Tell me about that day. Well, it was a very exciting day. I had worked hard to build a company that was um, Martha Stewart living Omnimedia. And uh, a lot of people poo-pooed the idea of Omnimedia, but to me, it really made sense. So it was a media company which encompassed a magazine and a world of books. Um, and television. television. It became a merchandising company. Uh, we sold products. At that time, we were selling a lot of product at Kmart. I'm Martha Stewart, and I'm Kmart's new consultant for entertaining and lifestyle. I'll be helping millions of Kmart customers with tips on just about everything for the home and entertaining. So come to Kmart. So you have this amazing company. Yes. And in one day, you become a billionaire. Yes. What, and what, what, I was what? driving up Madison Avenue and thinking, gosh, I can buy anything. Did you? No, I was so stupid. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, I like things. I like art. I love, but I, I've, I, I like a lot of things. You were the first American woman who became a self-made billionaire. That's what, that's what they say. And uh, that must have felt great. It was, it was excellent. But I don't. I don't take that kind of stuff and take it as seriously as other people take it. It's a big deal. Uh, it is a big deal, but I had a lot to do, and it was a, and it was. I've been very busy ever since. I'm taking you back now to Turkey Hill. So you're painting the house, you're working on roofs, uh, and then you decide, I'm going to start a catering business. Yeah. Why? Uh, well, I like to cook, and I noticed that there was a void in the market for a good catering service. What was the hole in the market? The hole was everywhere for good, wholesome food uh, for parties. When you started out, did it feel to you like this was going to become a business you're going to develop, or was it more of a hobby? Oh, no, it was a business. I, I was uh, booking up to a million dollars in revenue for my catering business, and that's a lot of money. Locally? Yes. A million dollars? Yes. <laughs> but that was hard work. And what really happened was the experience that I got um, doing this catering uh, led to me deciding that if I didn't write something about this work I was doing, if I ever had grandchildren, they wouldn't know what grandma had done. So I decided to write a book. And that's really what the value of all that catering and all that learning and all that recipe development uh, led to the creation of my number one cookbook. That book was <laughs> everything, wasn't it? It was the first time that people understood, that I understood that I was every woman who really needed advice and, and guidance in entertaining friends and family. Holidays became more important after this book. 
People really paid more attention to what were they going to serve on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day and uh, birthdays and feasts of, uh, of, of different ethnicities. All of this is in this book. It's a simple, beautiful book, and I think everybody should read it. Steven Spielberg talked about yeah. you creating housekeeping as an art form. Right. That was so flattering, by the way. It's, and he told me that walking down the street on Lily Pond Lane in East Hampton. But it's, it's true. Yeah. But at the same time, it's unattainable to most people. They can't do it. But that. it isn't anymore. I really think that um, women everywhere, and, and guys who are running their own homes now, there's a lot of single men or married men who are running their households, um, I think they all know pretty much now how to throw a good party. Did you have a master plan, or was this just kind of happening as it went along? I wish I could say it was all mapped out. <laughs> it was, of course, it wasn't mapped out. Uh, but I knew what I liked to do. I really had found my voice with this book. So I started to write a book a year. And, uh, and every single year, I created a really, really good book. And I, I wanted to do television. I wanted to do everything. I thought the only other format that would pay off is a magazine. So that's where this comes in. This is number, number one issue of Martha Stewart Living. This was an immediate success as a magazine. It was the first full-fledged lifestyle magazine with a person attached. Were you competing with Oprah? I was a little earlier than Oprah. It was Martha, then it was Oprah, then it was Rosie. We were all like 10 years apart. Oprah is by far the wealthiest and most powerful, but, uh, but I, I consider myself a successful uh, creator of an industry. I have seen a lot of successful people try their hand at television and they fail miserably. Yeah. You had never done television before. It's pretty audacious to say, now I'm gonna venture into this area without any experience, and you were successful. Well, I was good in front of the camera. I learned that modeling. I think that modeling was really the best teacher for me because there you are standing with 25 people over there telling you what to do, and you have to look nice and that relaxed and pretty in the pictures. So I learned how to, to behave uh, in front of a camera. Right. But then um, I was also a good teacher, and I could easily talk while and do. It's hard to... It's hard to cut meat and, and talk. smile at the camera yeah. and do the whole thing and not burn yourself and cut yourself. I've only cut myself once on camera and do all of that stuff. It's not an easy thing and still look good and act well and, and be pleasant in front of the camera. You're a competitive person. Um, I'm competitive, but not, not, I mean, I wouldn't be good on a tennis court competing with anybody. I'm not like that. What about in business? Um, I'm not cutthroat in business. I'm not. Why do you think some people say you are? Because I'm successful, <laughs> I think. That's really the reason. For five months, I spent an uneasy time in Alderson Federal Prison. James Comey was the prosecutor. Yeah, dear James. Do you think that he's sexist? So tell me what this is. Well, uh, for five months, I spent an uneasy time in Alderson Federal Prison, I guess it's called. I, I can't even remember the name. But um, to pass the time, um, I, I took up whatever I could possibly take up reading. I, I was, it was like a great reading vacation. But I also um, took pottery. 
ceramics, it's, it's called there. So wait, wait, wait. You made I these made, in prison? I did. You were allowed to make three pieces of, of ceramics while in five months. But I persuaded the, um, the powers that be that, that uh, this was one piece because you couldn't just do three of them. You had to do the whole thing. So I think there's uh, 12 pieces or 15 pieces. So this is a nativity scene. This is a nativity um, uh, figures for a crash, a Christmas crash. But this is so Aren't intricate. They beautiful? Oh my God. And you had to ship it out, you know, and you had to wrap everything. And nothing got broken. I was so pleased that, that uh, <laughs> you know, these are so great. Look, these are the three wise men bringing their gifts to baby Jesus. And, and here's Joseph and Mary. Uh, and these ca beautiful camels. This is incredible. So I, I recently called the prison to ask if they still had the molds, because I'd like to make this for, you know, QVC or for, uh, you know, just... Oh my God, Martha Stewart's prison molds. No, no, you don't call it that. Well, no, okay, just but it would it, sell. I mean, it would sell it like crazy. Just call it the nativity. It's so beautiful, but at the same time, it brings back memories. Is it painful? Uh, you know, that time is, I do not want to be defined by a time like that. That's an unfair time. Do you feel like you were unfairly targeted because you were Martha Stewart? Um, I can go go on and on and on about this. It's not, I don't think it's so okay, appropriate. Okay, then give me a yes or no. Uh, yes, definitely yes. I'm just very, very sorry that it's come to this that a small personal matter has been able to be blown out of all proportion. And with such venom and such gore, I mean, it's just terrible. James Comey was the prosecutor. Yeah, dear James. So um, it's a, he's a complicated person, isn't he? Do you think that he's sexist? Uh, no, I was, I'm sure I was an example. And that's it. Until Hillary Clinton comes along. Second example. So is But not there... only the second. There has been I'm sure there are other people that are also used as examples. So Women. are there dots you connect that then? Um, I'll be writing about it in my autobiography. <laughs> Were you hurt by the glee that some people expressed when you went through this? Uh, not hurt, just disgusted. <laughs> and. Uh, and I, I'm a very strong person. I can put up with a lot of uh, lemons in my life, but um, but of course I was I was really not discouraged even, just disgusted that this kind of thing could happen in the United States. You brought a ten thousand dollar Birkin bag into court. Um, I don't even know if it was ten thousand. I bought that bag. It's a beautiful bag. Um, I have very few handbags, pocketbooks, um, and very few, and that was the one I was using at the time. I didn't even think about it. That was my pocketbook. And, uh, Expensive it, pocketbook. Well, I was a rich woman. They didn't focus on my clothes so much. Some of those clothes were more expensive than the pocketbook. <laughs> you got but, away with that. <laughs> got away with that. But, um, but it, was, uh, it, was, it was ridiculous that that was the focus. Why? Did, did, did uh, is a man get, get focused on for the belt he's wearing or the gold buckle or the whatever? What was it like for you there? I mean, here you are in this opulent life, then going there. Simple. I mean, it was just a simple. I had a roommate. We were in a little old house. This was like a campus. It had built, been built. That particular place had been built as a girls' school. And there were small brick buildings, uh, no security, uh, no fence. Was it difficult for you? No, not at all. How was food? Horrible. <laughs> Horrible. <laughs> There were no lemons. <laughs>
make jokes about making lemons into lemonade, but I actually really like lemons. And these are my first lemons in five months, and I'm really looking forward to having some hot lemonade when I get back in the house. Did you try to influence uh, the, uh, the cooks? No. Really? No, I did not try to impose anything on anybody there. It's that, and that's not the appropriate place to do that. If you played Family Feud and, and said things about Martha Stewart, uh, that poncho's going to come up in one of the numbers. <laughs> um, it's in a box somewhere in the attic. You don't know where it is? No, it's someplace. I have a lot of stuff stored here and there. And uh, People were obsessed with that poncho. Oh, I know, and we made a pattern, which is still sold. And uh, <laughs> you can still buy the same wool. You and, are fantastic. And uh, it, it was a great poncho. Well, David, welcome. I see you have your <laughs> ankle bracelet, yeah. your poncho, and uh, Poor little Francesca, yeah. you're holding her by the ear. Hey, say hello to my little friend. <laughs> you did your house arrest here, and I am blown away by how fantastic this place is. Yet I've read this was harder for you than prison. Well, it was. It was, it was again, that kind of thing is so unfair. Wearing an ankle bracelet, for God's sake. I mean, and uh, I couldn't do Saturday Night Live. They asked me to do Saturday Night Live, and there were not enough hours to prepare for Saturday Night Live. I could have been Alec Baldwin. <laughs> <laughs> There's an old saying that that which doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I hate adages like that. I think they are ridiculous. Uh, if you're strong, you're strong and you're not gonna get any stronger by going to a silly place like Alderson. I was blown away by your performance at the Justin Bieber roast. Were you scared? No, I was so high. Say again? I was so high. Tell me about the book, one of your 178. Oh, <laughs> no, um, actually 90 books so far. Ah, sorry. So uh, this is called The Martha Rules, and it was the first book that I wrote. Oh, I actually used the, uh, the five months of, um, of home arrest uh, to write this book. You made money while you were in prison. You, you made 12 cents an hour going in and a lot of money going out with this. Right, I don't remember the 12 cents, <laughs> but. Okay, so my opinion, Prison made you super cool. <laughs> well, actually, to, to a certain uh, group in America, uh, prison gives you street cred, so. It does, doesn't it? But it's an unnecessary way to get it. Well, you know, it's funny, because there are a lot of people who may not have liked you or have been indifferent, but showing imperfection whether it was fair or not fair, makes you relatable to people. So isn't there a positive that comes from it? No positive whatsoever. I'm not giving in on that point. So <laughs> there, is, there is no lemonade here? None. By the way, Natasha, I do a lot of gardening, but you are without a doubt the dirtiest used up hoe I have ever seen. I was blown away by your performance at the Justin Bieber roast. I think it was one of the most brilliant comedic performances that I have seen Thank from you. somebody who's not a comic. As we all know, Kevin is one of the biggest movie stars in the business right now, and he deserves it. He struggled for years. When he finally got his first big paycheck, 
he spent $150,000 on a watch. I forget that term uh, for that. It's not African-American rich. It'll come to me. <laughs> Were you scared? No. I was so high. Say again? I was so high. I, it's just a joke. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I, you were sitting next to Snoop. I had to sit next to Snoop for four hours. Oh, secondhand. <laughs> yes. It's nice to see Snoop again. One of the highest rated episodes on my show, Martha Stewart Living, was when Snoop and I made brownies together. <laughs> and uh, I've used this recipe ever since. As a matter of fact, I ate three of them right before they called and asked me to do this roast. <laughs> I guess that was the first time you met him, right? Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, you knew him before? Oh, yeah. We knew oh, he him. was on your show, wasn't he? Was he was on my show and, uh, and uh, just as, uh, uh, you know, a pleasant guest, fun guest, and, and one of the most popular guests. Hi, everybody. Welcome to our show, or should I say, what's crackalackin? <laughs> Because look who's sitting right next exactly. to me. Okay. He's very funny and and so laid back and and um, and we just we just uh, rekindled a, just a friendship uh, on that roast. And then someone came and asked if we would do this um, a cooking show together. We thought that it would be really nice to um, to do a, a, a potluck supper. And that's what we did. So is this rebranding a brand extension? Because that's not the stuff you used uh, to do. It's neither, neither. It's really a melding of uh, two diverse cultures. I've gotten to know what Compton and all that lifestyle is about, and music. I, I just know how talented Snoop was in music, or Jamie Foxx is a genius. You don't know that until you actually sit down and spend a day with a with a person uh, that's famous, but you don't know how talented underneath they are. What what education has gone into that that amazing uh, performance ability? So uh, so I've learned a lot, and he certainly has learned a lot. It's fashionable. Yeah, fashionable. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me the truth. You smoke with him now? Never. Really? Never. It's not, it's not of no interest to me, but, uh, but it's interesting to me. Oh, Lord. Watch out for Martha, because she's about to lose, because Snoop's chicken is soaked in chronic and booze. <laughs> your version of The Apprentice kind of ruined your relationship with Donald Trump, didn't it? Well, at that time, it, he, he didn't like it, because, well, he doesn't like much. But he uh, didn't like that, that I even had a version of The Apprentice. I was supposed to fire him at the end of my, my uh, first season. What I was, well, he, they, he was going to leave The Apprentice. And Mark Burnett had promised me that I would fire Donald Trump. And uh, that didn't happen. Donald Trump decided he wanted to continue with The Apprentice, and rightly so, because look, he became president as a result of that Apprentice show. Along the way, he trashed you and said, oh, her ratings were my ratings. That ruined the relationship, didn't Oh, it? well, at that time, it, was not, it wasn't so nice to say things like that, but he said that about his other successors, too. He doesn't want to give anybody else a chance, does he? You were married for 29 years. Right. What went wrong? Um, 
What went wrong? Uh, I think he had a wandering eye. I'm wandering whatever. <laughs>
no. Alexis was, was a trick Alexis, question. I know. Alexis was great. But uh, having the grandchildren uh, is, uh, is just a joy. You really love them. I, mean, I, I do love them. And you see them a lot? I try to see them quite often, yeah, several times a week. And your relationship with Alexis is strong. Uh, better than it has been. Not as good as it should be. I want to ask you one other dating question. I read that you uh, once dated Anthony Hopkins. Well, we had a dinner and a date, and uh, but a lot, I couldn't get I couldn't get out of my head Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> that was the buzzkill. <laughs> Sorry, Anthony. <laughs> You went kayaking in Newfoundland. You um, went panning for gold in the Alaskan <laughs> Yukon, dune bashing in the Middle East. I don't know what it is. It seems incongruous um, to look at that and then look at a woman who makes her living really teaching people how to be a homemaker. This property is just incredible. This is so beautiful. And this is all you, isn't it? Yeah, it is pretty much. Um, it's 150 acres uh, within, within commuting distance of New York City, which uh, I'm very lucky to have found. And it's, uh, it's just a really pleasant place to come home to. I have uh, a barn with horses and donkeys and chicken coops with uh, very productive chickens and geese and guinea fowl. Uh, turkeys, too. Tell me about this. Oh, well, this is a uh, duffel bag that has been up to the top of Kilimanjaro. This is what you took? <laughs> yes. You carried it? Uh, well, it has wheels, and uh, when you go up Kilimanjaro, you have porters. Ah. Do you know what those are? Yeah, they're like Sherpas. <laughs> yes. You have a backpack, but you also have to have your gear. Uh, it's, a, it's a long... Uh, it's a long walk at a high altitude. So you did it for five days. It's almost 20,000 feet. Yes. Highest and, mountain in Africa. In Africa. And, and you, uh, you make your final ascent from midnight until 5 in the morning when the sun rises over Africa. It is an incredible sight. Was there fear? No, it was a little scary because uh, you're up there all by yourself. But I could see in the far in the distance my two companions, my two fellow climbers with me. But it was so much fun. But I love to travel, and that's my, my adventuresome side. I like to travel, too. Yeah. I don't climb mountains. Oh, but you should try. Where did you get the sense of adventure? Well, I'm an, I'm an energetic person with a lot of uh, curiosity about the world and about nature. You went kayaking in Newfoundland. You. Um, went panning for gold in the Alaskan <laughs> Yukon, dune bashing in the Middle East. I don't know what it is. It seems incongruous um, to look at that and then look at a woman who makes her living really teaching people how to be a homemaker. Right, but part of homemaking is traveling and learning. And look at the crafts I've learned all over the world. The crafts and the cooking and the foods, and oh, it's incredible. It's always about learning for me. It's, uh, it's, uh, there's so much to learn and you should never stop. And uh, I'm incredibly lucky that I'm able to do it. Do you ever uh, think someday you're just gonna sit down, kick back, enjoy life? Uh, nope. <laughs> you like working? <laughs> I do. Why? It's exciting. It's exciting to create. And uh, I don't think you have to stop working 
And I don't even consider some of this work that I do. How can you consider you travel work? You can't. How can you consider writing a book work? You can't. It's part, you know, it's, it's what you do. It's writing. I always say, don't think of doing the laundry as, as a chore. Think of it as doing the laundry. What can you learn while you're doing the laundry? A lot. Well, we're back, and I'm here backstage by our Whirlpool duet, washer and dryer, where we get all our laundry done before the show and after the show. You can learn what machine works the best. You can learn what soap cleans the best, which one doesn't smell. You can learn all kinds of stuff when you're doing the laundry. Guess what I learned today? What? You're awesome. No. Oh. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Martha. Thank you.